Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. If you're joining online, welcome. Hope you're enjoying being a part of the worship and we're so um, excited that you're connecting in with what God's doing here. Uh, For those who are visiting, we're one church worshiping over three locations. Just down the road at St. Luke's, we've just worshiped at 9.30. Beautiful to see what God's doing there in our community. And then over in Solihull, in a school, we're meeting and again speaking into this theme that Jesus heals. And here today, uh, we're gathered and we're excited that you're here. And we're in a series called Jesus the Healer, where we are looking at these amazing encounters Jesus has with humanity that speak of who he is and what he has the power to do. And we believe Jesus heals. Anyone else here believe that? But, but more than that, we believe Jesus heals today. It wasn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but even more exciting than that, we believe Jesus by his spirit is here amongst us with the power to heal. And so we're going to pray at the end for healing. And so we ask, Lord, by your spirit, through your word, would you speak to us this morning? We're going to look at a passage of scripture. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 10. It's going to come up on the screen, but you might want to read along. And uh, Luke chapter 13, 10, it says this. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Getting excited already, I love it. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So Jesus is guest preaching at the local synagogue. He's on tour and he's preaching that Sunday. And Luke suddenly cuts the scene to this woman. And suddenly all the attention is on this woman who we read that she was crippled and had been for 18 years. She was literally bent over double and was unable to stand up straight. And so she'd lived for 18 years in extreme pain huge sense of humiliation and shame on her physical appearance. Life for her was so tough. Just the most ordinary and normal of tasks were incredibly difficult for her. And the gospel writer Luke says that this woman had been crippled by a spirit. It was an evil spirit that had come upon her and had caused her this physical ailment. Now, 
just to be clear, we don't believe today that every form of sickness, every form of suffering is an evil spirit at work. You know, if you're battling with food poisoning one night, it might not necessarily be a scheme of Satan straight from the pit of hell to hinder you. It could be that that dodgy kebab fan was always going to be a massive risk. Jesus was also very clear to challenge a wrong assumption at the time amongst people who thought that if you were sick, it was a sign of sin in your life or your family line, or it was a sign of a lack of faith. No, Jesus was clear in his teaching that we live in a broken and a fallen world because of the sin of humankind. Death and decay are part of our human existence. People get sick, people suffer, life can be tough, but this is never, ever a sign of God's absence. In fact, this story of healing is a reminder, it's a foretaste of what is to come for each and every one of us, that one day Jesus will return in all his glory. He will right every wrong. He will restore all things. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will spend eternity with Jesus, where there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more suffering, and there'll be no more tears. That is each and every one of our future. But in the meantime, there is sickness and there is pain. It's what theologians call the now and the not yet. So we live in the now. Jesus has come. He's poured out his spirit. And so we should expect healings, signs and wonders, God to work in and through us. That's why we pray for healing. We, we, we pray for healing because Jesus commands us to heal the sick and to pray for healing. So that is the now. We should expect that. But we also live in the not yet. Until Jesus returns fully, there will be pain. There will be suffering. And so we live in that tension. I wish everyone we prayed for would get healed. But I want to be a follower of God's word. And God's word commands us to pray for the sick. So that is what we do, even though we don't understand exactly what happens. We trust God in it. And so Luke here, he's inviting us to really understand and feel, empathize with this woman who's gathered at the temple. And, and I love the fact that this woman is gathered at the temple to worship. It can be very easy, particularly in our day and age, to get very flaky around church. Now, I love the fact that so many are gathered here today, but I can see sometimes ah, getting to church is a bit of a hassle. You know, what a nightmare, parking. No parking, is it, you know, is it worth it? And, oh, it's quite you know, difficult. I love the idea of church, but then it's, it's, it's the people. <laughs> you know, I, I sat next to this weird person last Sunday, and I don't know if I've got it in me to go again. And, 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 and they talk about, you know, holiness and serving and giving. It's, you know, it's a bit of a hassle. I'll just pick my favorite podcast and listen to my favorite songs, and I'll just have church on my own. Can I be very clear? That was never Jesus's vision for church, a podcast and a Spotify playlist. The church is the people of God. And I want to encourage you, if you're here feeling like, is it worth it? Maybe you're visiting in the church you go to back home. Stick with it. Stick with it. Because when we turn up to church, when we commit to being a family, God will commit to showing up and moving amongst us. And this woman turns up to the synagogue, bent over a long, painful journey to get there. But on that moment, she's healed and set free. 
and we believe God is at work healing and setting people free. That's why the writer in Hebrew says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So Jesus is preaching. We begin to hear about this woman and her condition and, and then we're told that Jesus sees her. He's preaching and he suddenly he sees this woman bent over and he sees her story, her pain, her shame, her humiliation, her bondage. And to feel seen by someone that you'd never ever expect to notice you is an amazing feeling. I was reading about Justin Bieber, who recently, bear with, uh, recently released an album. And this young girl from the north of England posted on Twitter, she said this, I'm not much of a Justin Bieber fan, but his new album is quite good. (laughs) You know, it is not a passionate ringing endorsement of his latest album. Justin Bieber, who has 113 million followers on Twitter, he retweets it, to which the Twitter world goes crazy. You know, you've got a whole bunch of uh, girls going crazy at this girl from the north of England. How could you? And I can imagine her, you know, on the bus home from school, tweets this thing, and then suddenly she's at the center of this Twitter explosion. To be seen is an amazing thing. And I love how Jesus, when he walked on the earth, time and time again, he would see people. He would notice and he'd value and and show and demonstrate his love. I think about Zacchaeus, this guy who was a tax collector, who was rejected and scorned by his fellow Israelites, uh, who heard that Jesus was coming into town and Jesus was healing the sick. Jesus was a big deal. And he wants to see what's going on, but he doesn't want to be seen because he's clothed with shame and guilt. And so he hides up in a tree and he's in this tree looking down, watching all of these people gathering around Jesus. And what happens? Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus, even though there's crowds around him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree immediately. I must come to your house today. And we're told that salvation visits the house of Zacchaeus and he's radically transformed. I think about the story in John's Gospel, chapter four, where Jesus is at a well and there's a woman from Samaria at this well drawing water. And Jesus breaks through the tradition and cultural norm and he begins to speak to her. As a Jewish rabbi speaking to a woman and a Samaritan woman was a massive no-no. And he begins a conversation and he begins to reveal to this woman that he is the Messiah, the one that the Israelites and the Jewish people had long been awaiting for. He, He was him. He was here in front of this woman. And he says to this woman, go and tell your husband. Now, Jesus was also a prophet, and he knew this woman's story. He knew that she had had five husbands, and all of these marriages had ended up breaking down. And in fact, the man that she was now living with wasn't her husband. And so this woman is like, ah, you're a prophet. And it's this remarkable moment where Jesus sees all the pain, all the baggage, all the abuse, she would have suffered all the 
agony, all the ways she was ostracized by her community. And he says, I see it all. I see the very worst of it. And yet I love you. And in this moment, I'm equipping and empowering you to be the first evangelist to go to your village to say, come and see the Messiah. And so he empowers and she runs off and she tells all of her village, come and see the one who told me everything I ever did. Jesus sees you. Sitting here today, he sees you. Though you might feel small, though you might feel forgotten, though you might feel unworthy, though you might feel unlovable, though you might feel bound by guilt and shame, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees this woman. And he calls her out, calls her out from the crowd. And he says, this woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up. Praise God. Put his hand on her and immediately she was healed. Just one touch of Jesus Christ, the saviour of the world. And we can be healed. We can be set free. Circumstances can shift and change. And what happens This woman stands up, praising God. How is the leader of the synagogue going to respond? Well, we're told that he's indignant. He's furious. He's horrified. And he starts complaining. You know, there are six days, Jesus, you could have healed anyone you wanted. But this is a day of Sabbath, a day of rest. You shouldn't have done it on this day. And it's like he misses the point. It'd be like a woman coming in with crutches, and Nick Drake, who's beautifully leading today, goes up, lays a hand on her shoulder, and she's like, ah, I'm healed. She throws the crutches. She's running and jumping around the building. Everyone's shouting and praising God for this miraculous healing. And I come up and say, excuse me, excuse me, this is not good. We have a very clear prayer ministry policy that says you shouldn't pray for someone of the opposite sex unless you're joined by the someone of the same sex. Nick has broken our policy. This is a travesty and injustice. I am disgraced and disgusted. This is not good. You would think, Tim, you're an idiot. Get lost. This is amazing. God is at work. This leader has so misunderstood the heart of God. So misunderstood that the Sabbath was a day of rest, but it's a day of restoration, of blessing, of joy, of healing. And Jesus has come to bring the most remarkable and wonderful restoration to this woman. He'd spent 18 years bound and crippled, and he sets her free. And the leaders and the religious leaders missed it because they've put Jesus in a box. They've basically got caught up in religion. And religion is when you control your circumstances. You control your beliefs. You control the God that you say you worship. And so when it deviates and something happens that is out of your control, you freak out and it can't be God then. One of the things I want to say to us, church, is I believe God is going to begin to move in a way that will break out of boxes we've put him in, break through boundaries we've set around him. And for some of us, it's going to confuse us. Dare I say, it's going to offend us. But if God is not offending people, then you have to question whether he's really at work. Because when God moves in power, it confuses because God's ways are not our ways. And I believe we've got to be expectant. We've got to build muscles of faith to believe God to do the impossible. 
You know, I was, I was hearing about a friend, a guy called Josh, and I never knew the story about him, but he grew up in Pakistan, and he was a missionary kid. And his dad would spend many afternoons gathering with local imams, and they'd play Risk, the board game, and they'd talk about the Quran, and they'd talk about scriptures, and they'd battle over big philosophical, theological ideas and concepts. And so Josh just loved being around these conversations. And when he was 20 and he was back in the UK, he thought, I'd love to study philosophy at university. But the problem was Josh had been expelled from school. Basically, he suffered with dyslexia, dyspraxia, and ADHD. So school for him was a nightmare, and probably for his teachers a complete nightmare as well. And it, it didn't end well. And so he's 20 years old, got no qualifications, but really wants to study philosophy at university. And he finds this university course that does philosophy and says that you need an A-level in philosophy. And he said, well, I haven't got any A-levels, but for God said, just apply. So he applies, zero expectation. And after a few weeks, he's heard nothing. He's kind of given up on the idea. And he's, he's at the laundrette. He's doing his washing. And this laundrette had all these machines, but all of them were broken, bar one. And so he's put his clothes in, put his coins in. He's waiting. And this Buddhist monk walks in. This Buddhist monk, very clearly by his dress, is a Buddhist monk. And uh, the Buddhist monk's trying to find, you know, a machine that works for his washing. And Josh says, look, this is the only machine that works. My, you know, washing's going to take two hours. You can either come back in two hours or let's sit down and chat. So this Buddhist monk says, let's do that. Sits down and they begin to talk about Buddhism, about Christianity, about theology, about philosophy. After two hours, this Buddhist monk says, I've never ever met a young man who is inquisitive and thoughtful as you around the big themes of life. Have you ever thought about studying philosophy? Just a funny story. I've just applied to this university to study philosophy, but I don't have any qualifications. The monk says, well, what university have you applied for? And he gives him the name of the university and he said, that's really interesting. I'm the head of philosophy at that university. <laughs> Within one week, Josh had an unconditional offer to study philosophy. Isn't that amazing? This is the God that we worship who is breaking out of boxes. When people says, I haven't got the qualifications, he says, I don't care, I'll qualify you and I'll make it possible. When you say, there's no open doors, I don't mind, I'll open the doors for you. When you say, I don't have what it takes, I don't care, I will use you. And if we make ourselves available, God, will break through and will break out. So Jesus, he sees this woman. He reaches out and he heals this woman. But then he does something which is perhaps the most remarkable thing of all. He frees this woman, completely sets her free. He says, should this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, Shouldn't she be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? I love how the King James Version says it. He says, Jesus said, woman, thou art loosed. I love that. Thou art loosed. This incredible declaration of freedom over this woman because she wasn't just bound with a physical condition. She was bound emotionally and spiritually. And Jesus came to set her free. And he called her. It's the only place in the whole of the Bible where this term is used. He says, daughter of Abraham. Now, it's slightly lost on us, but this 
is a remarkable moment. Slight diversion. Now, when I grew up in church, we used to sing this song. Some of you might remember it. It's this kid's song that when Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left leg, shake your head, do a twirl. <laughs> and we wonder why the church has declined. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine people turning up like, what the hell is this? But I was thinking about this song, Father Abraham, and a reflection. What about the daughters? What about the daughters? You know, in Genesis, God calls Abraham. And he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. And he makes this covenant with him in Genesis. I will surely bless you and I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And so the people of Israel were going to be God's people. Yahweh was going to be their God. And this storyline, this family was birthed that we are a part of today. The people of God, which we now call the church. But fast track to the time of Jesus. And the place and the value of women in society was just appallingly unjust and low. In ancient Greece, women had the social standing of a slave. A wife was not permitted to eat or interact with guests in her husband's home. Girls were not educated, and when they grew up, they were not allowed to speak in public. And the status of Roman Empire and Roman women was also incredibly low. Women were placed under the complete control of their husbands. A husband could murder his wife and Face no consequences, wouldn't in any way be called to account. And women, as in the case with the Greek world, were not allowed to speak in public. And then for the Jews, the women would be separated when they gathered to worship from the men. And men would pray this daily prayer that said this, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has not made me. A woman. They would pray, God, thank you that I'm not a woman. And so we need to see that every encounter Jesus has with a woman in the New Testament, he smashes through the evil and the corruption and this hold, spiritual hold on women, and he begins to empower them and begins to release them. He smashes the cultural and societal norms and he gives women dignity and honour and sets a new trajectory and a new path. I believe he began in Genesis where he created Adam and Eve, male and female, both made in his likeness and in his image. Just three quick ways how Jesus did this in the New Testament. He spoke in public to women. Rabbis just didn't do that, but Jesus would engage publicly in conversation. You see, it sometimes the disciples are horrified. Jesus, you can't speak to her. But he'd speak to the women and he'd speak with honor and respect and love. Number two, Jesus had female women disciples. Jesus, unlike any other rabbi, taught women scriptures. He empowered them and he honored them. You know, there's the 12 disciples who were men. 
But alongside that, there were other disciples, many of whom were women. In Luke chapter 8, it says this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now hear that. These women weren't just like token add-alongs. Oh, come along, make us a bit of lunch and tea. These women were bankrolling the whole of Jesus' ministry. They were like funding it. You know, you need money to get all over the place to preach the gospel. We're gonna back you. We're gonna get behind this. And Jesus valued these women, leaders and disciples. And then thirdly, Jesus entrusted women with the revelation of who he was. This is the most precious thing Jesus came to do. It wasn't about just healing a few people preaching about a good way of living a life. He came to reveal the heart of God, to communicate that he was God and that life in all its fullness, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, could only be found in him, in Jesus Christ. And he shared this self-revelation of who he was with women. The woman at the well, as I mentioned earlier, I am the Messiah, go tell the village. And then who was it who Jesus appeared to first the day of his resurrection? Who was it he entrusted the most significant, crazy huge moment of history that's changed humanity forever, that Jesus not only died, but has risen from the grave and now lives for eternity. He entrusted that truth and that story with women. Yes, he did. And so in this moment, in this moment, Jesus in front of a packed crowd calls this woman up and says, daughter of Abraham. This woman and the others who must have thought, have we been written out of God's story? Does God care about us? Do we even have a place in all of this? Daughter of Abraham, you are part of my gospel story. You are part of my kingdom. You are part of my family. You are in no way a second-class citizen. I don't see you in any way as lesser than men. And today in front of everyone here, I'm elevating you. I'm honoring you. I'm celebrating you. I'm showing you off like a proud father. You've been judged and called crippled, but I am now saying you are my daughter. You're the daughter of Abraham, part of the family of God. And today it is time for women in the church to rise up and to lead and to take their place. You know, Father Abraham, he did have many sons, but he also had many, many daughters. And you're here today. And it's time for you to lead. It's time for you to risk. It's time for you to step out into all that you're called to. It's time for each and every one of us to see the schemes of the enemy to hold women back, to enable women to be um, seen as just objects of male sexual desire, for women to be held in prisons of shame, to hide away in the shadows, 
to, to step back from who they are. And I believe it's the time for women to step out in all of their beauty and all of their femininity and to be who they've called to be, to lead and bring about God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And I say this, daughters of Abraham, don't lead like sons. Lead like daughters. And for a moment, let me just be clear. Where Rachel and I stand on this issue of women in leadership. I hope it is crystal clear, but just in case it's not. I fully believe that women should be released to be elders. I fully believe that women should be released to be priests. I fully believe that women should be bishops. And it is a great joy for me to serve under Bishop Anne, the Bishop of Aston. And I'm convinced that the ministry of Jesus and the trajectory that he set when he spent three years ministering here on earth, for me, in my understanding of all the scriptures I've read, means that there's no limits to the role and the authority and the position of leadership that a woman can hold in the church and in the world. And we know historically, and we know even today, that for many women, when you step up into positions of leadership, along with that comes way more abuse, way more pushback, way more challenge. I was listening to a podcast about a previous Prime Minister of Australia. She's talking, they've done research on when women step out into politics, the, the level of trolling on social media, threats of rape and just abuse about the way they look. It is disproportionately higher for women than it is for men. She said the tragedy is so many women are stepping back from stepping into politics because it's not worth the hassle. And we have to recognize it. That is the demonic work of Satan to hold women back to corrupt the minds of men and to step out into leadership, it's not gonna be easy. It is gonna be a challenge. It is gonna be a battle. But if we're gonna see revival in our nation, if we're gonna see the church being what the church is called to be, it can't just be the men leading the way. It's gotta be male and female, shoulder to shoulder, honoring one another, celebrating and releasing one another into all the God-given destiny that he has for each and every one of us. And when we do that, the church will be the most attractive place on the earth. And so I end with this. Obviously, we're gonna pray for women. And what happened at the orchard and what God is doing is really special. But this isn't just for the women. This is for all of us, freedom. For all of us, because I know most of us are in here, we're presenting well, we're looking good, smelling good. You know, you're a fine looking congregation. Yeah. <laughs> Humble as well. And, uh, but I know deep down, actually, a whole bunch of us are here. And internally, we feel like we're bent over. We can't straighten up. We're just so distressed by the addictions in our life. We can't struggle to shift the self-loathing, crippling shame, 
the addictions we battle with, the suicidal thoughts, the, the chains that are holding us back. And you know, in this life, we will all experience opposition, we will all experience suffering. But it's one of the great tragedies when sons and daughters of God live in shame, crippled by lies that they believe over themselves. But Jesus has come and he says, thou art loosed. You are free. And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray for physical healing because we need and we believe God wants to do that amongst us. But we're going to pray that people are set free. And firstly, we're going to pray for a move of God amongst our women where glass ceilings are smashed and God begins to work beautifully through the amazing women here. So can I just ask you, if you're a woman, stand up. We want to thank you and we want to honor you and we're going to pray for you. So Lord Jesus, would you by your spirit come, fill each and every woman here with your Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus, I pray that you break off them lies that they've lived under, teaching that I believe hasn't captured the whole of canon. Abuse they've suffered because of men, words that have held them back, physical, sexual abuse, Lord, that has crippled them. Lord, I pray now that you come by your spirit and set them free, set them free, set them free from any prisons in their minds, set them free from any limitations they've placed over themselves, set them free from the fear of stepping up and stepping out and feeling, will I be judged? Will I get it wrong? Set them free from overly concerning themselves with physical appearance. Set them free, Lord, and release them into all that you have for them to lead, to pioneer, to innovate, to risk. Raise up apostles, raise up evangelists, raise up prophets, raise up teachers, raise up pastors, raise up mothers of the church who will love radically, who will sacrifice greatly, who will not be afraid to speak out against injustice, who won't fear cancel culture, but will stand for what is true. Holy Spirit, come, come. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.